And I now invite you to return to that portion of Scripture we read earlier from 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we would choose verse 12 there for our text, which reads, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And the title I'd like to give to the meditation this morning is Save in Christ. Save in Christ. Second Timothy is Paul's last letter that he wrote. He knew that he hadn't got much more time left in this world. He would not be particularly old by our standards today, and he wasn't going to die because of illness or accident, but he was going to be martyred. He knew this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, the time of my departure is at hand. But here in this letter, what do we find? We find the apostle, and it would not be an exaggeration to say, on the brink of eternity. And as he looks at his Christian life, he has no regrets. He is full of enthusiasm for the cause of Christ. This is what dominated his life from that moment when he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And this is what sustained him through all his trials, all his difficulties, all his persecutions, all his hardships. He never lost his zeal. He never lost his enthusiasm. He was out and out to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to fulfill that wonderful and glorious commission that had been given to him. Now, we're not the Apostle Paul. None of us is. It could well be that we are, or we could be described as simply private Christians, and there's nothing wrong in that description whatsoever. If we're described as a private Christian, then it's a wonderful blessing, and it's a privilege to be in the kingdom of God and to have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and to be one who has been translated from the kingdom of darkness, and Christ has put his finger upon you and taken you out of that mess, out of the dunghill, and given you an inheritance in his kingdom. It's a glorious thing. But how do we maintain zeal and enthusiasm for the things of Christ, especially as we get older? Well, we have it here in our text. 
Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We want to notice then, following on from our title, Safe in Christ. How did he come to that experience? How did he come to that mindset that regardless of what is going to happen, he was safe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And this is something that we should seek to cultivate for ourselves. To have this assurance that we are safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He writes this letter to Timothy. You notice here, friends, verse 2, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. This is the man who's on the brink of eternity. He's going to face a violent death. But he is so concerned about Timothy that he wants to see Timothy. He wants Timothy to leave Ephesus and come to Rome and to see him before he dies because he is my dearly beloved son. But more than that, he simply wants to pass on the work to Timothy. Now, Timothy was a person who was inclined to be somewhat timid. He had a very difficult job in, in Ephesus. It was not easy to be a pastor there in Ephesus among the congregations. There were a lot of problems. And Timothy had to be bold. He had to be fearless. He had to get up and get going and do what was required. And this is why Paul wants Timothy to come to him before he passes on that he might encourage Timothy because Paul was going to go the way of all the earth, but the work of the Lord will go on. It must go on. And Timothy, you're the one to do it. And therefore, he wants to encourage Timothy that Timothy might, in some sense, be like the Apostle Paul, that he too would be fully persuaded, that he too would be safe in Christ, that he too would continue to take up the cross and to fight the good fight of faith, that the cause of Christ might prosper in that day and in that generation. No matter what the authorities might do to the Apostle Paul, Paul was concerned for the cause of Christ. And what we find, friends, in this chapter and in this book, of course, which we haven't read today, but we no doubt have read on other occasions, what do we find here? We, we find here a sense of victory, a sense of encouragement. This is what we find in this book. And surely we need to imbibe this in our mindset today. Is it not true that the, the cause of Christ today in our locality, in our nation, and in the Western world is not what it should be? And we would all like it to be better? Well, friends, we need to imbibe some of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. We need to recognize that we are safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to live our lives accordingly as ones who are safe. And the more that we realize it, the more that we'll be able to face all the difficulties that will come and the more that we will be enabled to encourage other people. 
This is what we find here. The Apostle Paul, his life was going to end. Yet, it's going to end in a note of victory. Well, so how did he come to this position then? How did he come to this position that he is safe in Christ? Oh, Caesar might take his life, but he's safe in Christ. Well, I'm going to take three things to you for your edification this morning, that we too might come to that same same place of security. And our security is not in ourselves. Our security is in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. First of all, he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. Now I'm aware that I've spoken about this before in this congregation on another occasion. Not the same text, but I have referred to this text on another occasion. And I'm not going to apologize for repeating it. Friends, he was not ashamed. Timothy was inclined to be ashamed. He was inclined to be ashamed of the Apostle Paul. Here, the great apostle. Who is he? Where is he? He's in prison. He's in Rome in prison. He's in a rat-infested prison. And Timothy was inclined to be ashamed of that. But the Apostle Paul was not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of these sufferings. I'm looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at his sufferings. What are my sufferings in comparison to the great Head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What are they? They are nothing in comparison. See how the, the Son of Man suffered? See how he came down from heaven? See how he humbled himself? See how he was spat upon? See how they pulled his beard? See how they put a crown of thorns upon his head? See how they treated him? See the nails going into his hands and his feet? And that spear going into his side? Here was the Son of God. He was crucified for sinners. He was condemned by God himself on the cross. He became sin on behalf of others. Whoever humbled himself and suffered like the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, friends, if you're going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus, you better get this into your mind and into your mindset. You will suffer. You will suffer. It might not be like the way that Paul suffered. Terrible persecution. Beatings. You know them. You read the book of Acts. What a wonderful stimulus it is to read the book of Acts in these days of apostasy. Read the book of Acts. See what the early church did. See how they suffered. They hadn't got a manse. They hadn't got buildings. They hadn't got pulpits. Oh, but they turned the world upside down by their preaching because they had the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was working through them. Wonderful things were done by the preaching of the gospel when they went out and they preached Jesus and the resurrection. But he suffered for it. But nevertheless, he was not ashamed. And he wasn't ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe there are some here who are ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he's not ashamed of you. Is that not wonderful? 
Is that not glorious? Does that not fill us with love? Does that not fill us with shame? Because there are times, friends, when we are ashamed of Jesus Christ, but he's never ashamed of his people. He calls them brethren. He gives them a wonderful inheritance. He cleanses their sins. He prepares them for glory. Are we going to be ashamed of him? The Jews and the Greeks were ashamed of him. And many in the professing Christian church are ashamed of him. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them. To speak about a crucified Christ, it's, it's an offense to them. Oh, they, they love to hear about Christ who is a, a great example. Or they love to hear about Christ who, who performed miracles and a wonderful teacher. And indeed, there's no teacher like the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you speak about the crucifixion, when you speak about the violence of it, and the blood flowing from the head and from the, the arms and the legs of the Savior, who was a terrible state there on the cross. Oh, people are offended with it. Well, friends, we love it. We love the preaching of the cross because without the preaching of the cross, there's no salvation. We wouldn't be here today. There's no good news. He had to suffer. He had to die. And we rejoice he did because if he didn't die, we would die. We would die the death of death itself. But friends, Christ has done it. And we rejoice in it. It's our life. And we tell you today, friends, that you must put your faith and your hope and your trust upon this one who was crucified, who was taken down from the cross, and who was put into a cold, borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he arose. Oh, hallelujah, he arose. No sealed grave could keep him. None could keep him. The day come, came when it was appointed that he would rise again and he came out of the grave. How did he do it? I don't know. You don't know. But we know he did. We know he did. And he's alive forevermore. And we proclaim to you this morning a Savior who is alive forever. And death no longer has any hold over him. Was the Apostle Paul going to be ashamed of him? Who now has been exalted to God's right hand? Until that day when his enemies shall be made his footstool? Are we going to be ashamed of him? No, he says, I'm not ashamed. And neither should we. And neither should you. He was safe in Christ. Because he was not ashamed. Not ashamed. He was suffering. Timothy was a bit ashamed of that. Let us not be ashamed of Christ. No matter our sufferings. I don't want to make light of anyone's sufferings. But if we put them in context, if we compare them with the glory that is before us, 
before the Christian. Our sufferings are but nothing. For I reckon, Paul says earlier in Romans, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Christian, this is the time to suffer. But there is a glory ahead for the Christian. Christ has entered into that glory and his people will follow. It cannot be, but they will follow. And our sufferings, what are they? They are but for a moment. What is time in comparison to eternity? Oh, we cannot compute it, can we? Time is but like a flash. It's like the, a flash of lightning in comparison to eternity. And that's the way you're to look upon your sufferings. Although they may be hard and difficult for us, for flesh and blood, indeed, all sufferings are difficult. But the day will come when there shall be no sufferings. Paul again says on another occasion in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for our light affliction, light affliction, he says. He suffered a lot, but he says, in comparison, they are but light affliction, which is but for a moment, working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Did you notice that your sufferings are working for your good? This is hard for us to comprehend. And when we're in the thick of our sufferings, we might not see this. But ultimately, we'll see it. We'll see that great master plan. We'll see what God has ordained for us. And we shall say, he is the one who has done all things well, even our sufferings. Are we going to be ashamed then? No, we're not. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, who's going to take up his mantle. Don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't be ashamed of, this, of the cross. Don't be ashamed of sufferings. And Paul recognized that he was suffering by the will of God. I know everyone here believes in the sovereignty of God. But it's not so easy to believe in the sovereignty of God when things are not going well in our life, when things are not going the way that we would like them to go, when they're going contrary to flesh and blood. It's not easy then to believe in the sovereignty of God, but that's the time when we need to believe. We need to believe that we are where we are by the will of God. Some of us would love to, to live in another generation. Well, we need to wake up. We are where we are by the will of God. You're here this morning by the will of God. Yes, you came freely, but you also came here by the will of God. And we are to be submissive to this will. And this is what brought great safety and comfort to the Apostle Paul, that regardless what Nero or Caesar would do, it was the will of God. Read the book of Acts again. You see that terrible storm that came upon them as they were going to Rome? Paul knew that he would go to Rome regardless of the storm, regardless of the shipwreck. He knew he was going to go to 
Rome. Why? Because God had told him that he would testify to the very center of the earth, and that was Rome at that time. To truly believe in the sovereignty of God. He overrules all things. And even when sufferings come, it is by the will of God. He believes in an absolute sovereign God. For the true-hearted Christian, this is wonderful comfort. To the worldling, he dreads it. A God that's sovereign, a God that rules, a God that overrules all things. The worldly person wants to run from this. The Christian wants to run to it. His faith, his hope, his confidence is not in a powerful God, but an all-powerful, all-sovereign God. And this is why he had so much confidence that he was safe in Christ, because regardless what was happening in his life, it was all down to the will of God. Well, secondly, we'd notice in our text, he knows the Savior. He goes on, I am not ashamed, for I know. Now he's talking about the Savior. I know him. Now, Paul had wonderful experiences of the Savior. He had a dramatic conversion like none other. And we cannot expect a conversion like the Apostle Paul had on the road to Damascus when he saw the light and when Jesus Christ spoke to him. We cannot expect that. But he had, he had a number of experiences. The gospel was not taught to him by the apostles. It was revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. He truly had wonderful, unique experiences. He talks in 2 Corinthians that he was up in the third heaven. He was in heaven himself. He experienced what went on in heaven. He couldn't record it. He wasn't allowed to. He had wonderful experiences, friends. But at this time, he was in prison. At this time, he was facing certain death. And he didn't have these supernatural experiences. And he didn't have these experiences every day. They are recorded for us in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts covers roughly a period of 30 years. So these experiences didn't happen every day of his Christian life. But here he says, for I know. He doesn't say, I used to know. I know. It's in the present tense. I know my Savior today. I know him. Can we say that? Can you say that? Are you looking to some conversion experience that happened five years ago? Ten years ago? Twenty years ago? Whatever. Oh, it's good to have a conversion experience. It's good. But what about your daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you say you know him now, today, here and now? 
Well, this is his experience. That's why he was able to say he was saved in Christ. He knows him now. He is intimate with him now. He's walking in the Savior's footsteps now. How is your Christian walk? Go back to your conversion. What was it like? Were you full of enthusiasm and zeal? Were you always reading your, the Bible? Were you seeking the Lord Jesus Christ in the closet? Were you regular at the means of grace? Did you delight to have fellowship, communion one with another? Were these things your delights? What's happened? Is it still the same with you? Or have you lost your luster? You don't have the same zeal. You don't have the same enthusiasm. It's a struggle maybe to come to the Lord's Day. Services. The prayer meeting. Have you got to be encouraged? Coaxed? Whatever. This wasn't the experience of the, the Apostle Paul. For I know whom I have believed. I know the Savior, and I believed in him, and I am believing in him. I'm looking to him. I'm not looking at what I did, my works. I'm not looking at the many converts who were brought to faith through my preaching or teaching. This is not my hope. My hope is built upon Jesus Christ, and I know that he's able to save to the uttermost. And no matter what Caesar might do, it will not matter. There's one greater than Caesar here, and my faith and my hope and my trust is upon him. And friends, that's the way it must be for you. I don't know, maybe there are some who are not believers here this morning. You must know that you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you must have him as your Lord and Savior. You must have something far more than religion. You must have something far more than simply coming to the house of God. You must have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He must be the one whom you look to. This is what it was for the Apostle Paul. And he's seeking to walk in the Savior's footsteps. Thirdly, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. You know, there was a time when the Apostle Paul We'll call him Saul of Tarsus now. There was a time when Saul of Tarsus wasn't persuaded. In fact, he was an out-and-out out rebel. He was violently opposed to Christians and to the church. And he was so opposed to Christianity that he took the initiative 
and went to the chief priests to get letters of authority that he might be able to go to Damascus and to round up the rogues of the way and bring them back to Jerusalem in order that they might be appropriately punished. He was a persecutor of the church. And he was not in any sense persuaded about the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. He no doubt would have heard about something of the, the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost. When Peter outlined the sins of the people, ye have crucified Christ. Peter filled with the Spirit speaking to the Jews as they were assembled there. You have crucified the Christ, the Prince of Glory. What a terrible sin you have committed. But there's great hope. It's all part of God's plan. Men and brethren, what must we do? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and ye shall be saved, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter would have, uh, Paul would have heard about that kind of preaching, and he said, not for me. It's not for me. But there was a day when Christ came unexpectedly as he was about his deadly deed. Christ apprehended him and he was transformed and changed. He had a very Unique conversion. But this is what every one of us needs. We need to see Christ. We need to have the Savior. And when we have the Savior, friends, we will be persuaded. When we have the Savior, when we hear the gospel, Oh, then it will be all different. Yes, that's the one that will save me. I may die. I may perish. Caesar might do what he wants to do to me, but ultimately my soul is with Christ. And he was fully persuaded of it. And that's how he was saved in Christ. And that's how he was able to face all these difficulties. And friends, it's exactly the same for the private Christian or for the office bearer or for the preacher of the gospel. The more that they are persuaded about Christ and all that he's done, the better it will be for us. And this one who wasn't persuaded, became fully persuaded. And what did he do? He devoted his life to persuading others. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Is that not what he says in 2 Corinthians after telling them about the judgment seat of Christ? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone will give account of himself, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And is this not something that the gospel preacher must do? He must be fully persuaded himself in order that he might go forth and seek to persuade others that they too might come to Christ 
and that they too might have their sins forgiven, and that they too would have a wonderful hope for time and for eternity. He is persuaded. And he went out to persuade others. He's not half-hearted. He has devoted his life to this, his believing life to this great commission and challenge. He's, he doesn't go hot or cold. This is what sustains him day after day. He's not double-minded. He doesn't halt between two opinions, as Elijah would say. At that great test on Mount Carmel, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But of Baal, then follow him. It's time then, friends, to be persuaded and to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be fully persuaded. Paul had great faith. But to be saved, what is needed but faith? He had great faith. But what's needed is genuine faith. And even small, genuine faith will save. Certainly, if we have the faith that Paul had, we'll find life's journey much easier. But real, genuine faith will save. And real, genuine faith will cause us to be saved in Christ. And we will be able to face any trial any difficulty that comes our way. Where do we stand then this morning or this afternoon as it is? Can we concur with these words? I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, the Savior. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What is that day? Well, ultimately, that day is judgment day. That day when this world as we know it shall be wound up. And we'll stand before King Jesus. And we'll give account. Books shall be opened. Our thoughts shall be exposed. Our words shall be retold. Our actions shall be laid bare. How will you fare on that day? How will it go with you? For the Apostle Paul and for others who are persuaded and who have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, they are saved in Christ. But others, well, that's not the case. And that's why this morning, this afternoon, we seek to tell you 
that you would come and put your faith and hope and trust upon Jesus Christ, whom to know is life everlasting. Amen. And may God be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray together. <clears throat> o Lord, we thank thee again for the encouragement that we find in thy word. And we bless thee for our all-powerful, all-willing Savior and what he has done. And, O Lord, we thank thee that today he intercedes at thy right hand for his people. And we bless thee for this glorious high priest. We ask that our faith might grow and prosper and flourish even in this decadent age that we live in. Bless thy word, therefore, to us. Pardon sin, for we ask all in Jesus' name. Amen.